Well, I'm so glad to have you here today as we continue in this series. And up to this point, we've been looking at the blessings that we have in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And now as we continue in the book of Ephesians chapter 1, it's almost as if the Apostle Paul, after listing out the incredible blessings we have in Christ, he pushes himself back from his desk and begins to pray A wonderful prayer of gratitude. Listen to these words, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. Paul writes, he says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Well, let's stop right there. Go ahead, go ahead and have a seat. Today, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about this prayer. Now, we stopped midway through, and so what we're going to do this week is we're going to talk about the the beginning of the prayer and the request that Paul makes, and then next week we're going to talk about what, what I'll call the evidence behind being able to pray this way. See, today we're really going to look at a, at a prayer that I would call a blessed prayer. Do you want your, your prayers to be blessed? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, to begin... I want to set this passage up by telling you about a little bit of an experience I had this week. Now, this was a, this was a good week for us because this week, my son, who's seven, and I coach his rookie's team, this week, his team had their very last game of the season. Now, now, if you know me, I love the coaching, I love the ball, I love being out on the field all the time, but there is something that I really love when the season comes to an end, right? You're able to just take a breath. You have this amazing thing. I don't know if you've experienced it before, but it's called a, a night at home. Like it's just the, the coolest thing. Like you just, you're at home and not going somewhere else to the baseball field every night. And so, you know what we do when we start to have a little bit of free time at home? Well, we start to do some chores, right? There's all sorts of things that we have to catch up on around the house. And one of these, I guess, projects that we, we're doing is we have a, kind of some, some stuff that we're sorting through and organizing in our basement. And so we're, we're down there this week and we're sorting through and we're organizing and, you know, we've got stuff that we haven't even touched since we moved in a couple of years ago. You know how it works? And so during this process, I open up a Rubbermaid and, and I look in there and I'm like, oh my goodness, it's full of baseball gear. It's actually baseball gear that I've had for years. It's gear that I'm almost ashamed to say that I forgot that I had, right? And so I open up this bin of all this baseball gear that I had forgotten that I had. And my first thought is, oh, oh yeah, I forgot I had this. And then I was like, man, I really could have used this this season. I could have, I could have used this. This would have saved me from buying some more gear for our teams, right? This gear just sitting there. It's kind of like maybe you've had that moment where you've had something packed away and you, you forgot that you had it and then you realize and you're like, oh yeah, there's this awesome thing that I have. Or maybe, maybe you've like put your jacket on a hanger or in the closet at the end of winter and then you've picked it out of the closet at the next winter and you put your hand in the pocket. You ever had that? You put your hand in the pocket and you pull out a, like a $20 bill and you're like, whoa, I got $20 that I forgot that I had. This is amazing. See, this is, this is kind of what Paul is doing in this prayer. See, this, this prayer is a blessed prayer. 
And what I want us to see today is that blessed prayer, this kind of prayer, this pattern for praying, this blessed prayer, what it does in the life of a believer, it refocuses you to see what you already have. Blessed prayer, it refocuses you to see what you already have if you were in Christ. It's very, it's very much like putting your hand in that pocket and pulling out some money. You're like, oh my goodness, I forgot that this, this is mine. Now that said, let me, let me be clear from the beginning. Prayer is much more than what we're going to look at today. Prayer is a topic we could spend weeks and weeks and weeks learning about. But, but listen, even though prayer is much more than what we're going to look at today, prayer is not less than what we're going to look at today. The elements that we're going to be reminded of or learn today about prayer, these are core elements that are part of, of the Christian in their prayer life. See, the problem is, if you are in Christ and you have the blessings that we've been looking at over the last month or so, the problem is, you and I, we're, we're prone to forget those blessings. We're prone to forget what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Or sometimes what I find is that there are people that they believe in Jesus, in his death and in his resurrection. They believe in Christ, but they are unaware of all the blessings that are, are, are part of their faith in Christ. And so when we forget these blessings or when we're unaware of those blessings, here's what I find happens in the lives of believers, myself included. We, we, we become captivated by lesser things. We've got these great blessings that are given to us in, in Christ, but we become captivated by these lesser things of the world that end up owning our hearts and our attention. Or, or maybe we don't become captivated. Maybe instead of becoming captivated, we, we become overwhelmed by the scary things of this world. We, we become threatened in our security by the, the things that are difficult or uncertain or that cause anxiety. And so because of that, we become overwhelmed with the things of this world, whether good or bad, because we forget or we're unaware of what we have in Christ. All that said, I'm so glad you're here today. Open up your Bible if you have not done so already. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 15, and we're going to see a bit of a pattern for prayer that is, it's a core component of how the believer prays. Let's begin right here. Verse 15. Here's the first thing we observe in this text. It's that blessed prayer recognizes true blessings in God. Blessed prayer, it recognizes the true blessings are in God. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 15, look at those first few words. He says, for this reason. For this reason. You see, this is a transitional phrase the Apostle Paul uses, and he uses it in such a way that he is pointing back to all of the blessings he has just listed in verses 3 through 14, and at the same time, he's, he's beginning to ground us in the present reality of the believer. He, he, he says, for this reason. Now, here's the deal. We have now spent four weeks looking at verses 3 through 14. And I want to spend the next few minutes reviewing verses 3 through 14. 
Now, I recognize that we could, we could just spend way too much time on this, so I'm going to give you a kind of a flyby review of verses 3 through 14 and the blessings that we've already allowed to fill our mind and, and to encourage our heart. Hang on. Let, let's do this. Let, let's, let's remind ourselves of the blessings we've already seen. He says, for this reason. What are these reasons? Well, verse 3. The first reason is the blessings in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Paul writes, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If, if, if we were to launch, we launch in this one verse. This is the verse we preached on Easter. This is a verse where we said, you and I, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have been given not 50% of the blessings in the heavenly places, not 90% of the blessings in the heavenly places. You have been given not all except for one really special blessing for the extra special Christians. No, it says that if you were in Jesus, this is true of you right now. You have been given all the spiritual blessings that exist in the heavenly realm. This is how he starts. And then, in the most beautiful fashion, he ends up listing out the blessings that we have in the triune God. The next few verses talk about the blessings we have in God the Father. And then we see the blessings we have in God the Son. And then we see the blessings that we have in God the Holy Spirit. Let's just fly by. I got fly by. Let's keep, keep going. Look at what the scripture says. We have the blessings of God the Father, verses four through six. The blessings of God the Father. It says, even as he, God the Father, chose us in him, God the Son, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Just, just a cursor review. Do you see the blessings you have in God the Father? This text, I, I, I don't have the time to just dig into it deeply, but it says that God chose you before the foundation of the world. It says that, that God, he, he predestined you to be adopted as his children. You have been adopted. You are now, you now not only have God as God, but God is God, your father. These are the blessings you have in God, the father. We'll keep going. Next, we see the blessings of God, the son verses seven through 12. Andrew preached on this a few weeks ago. Verses seven through seven through 12. It says in him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace with which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now again, just, just pick out these blessings. Do you see them? 
It says that you have, you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus, in his death, paid the price to rescue you out of the slave market of sin. This says that you have the forgiveness of your sins. If you were in Christ, God no longer holds your sin against you. I mean, we could just say amen and go home right there, right? I mean, this is, what an incredible blessing. It says we've been given the knowledge of his will. You in Christ now have an understanding of the will of God. This says also that you have obtained an inheritance. You have an inheritance waiting for you in the heavenly realm. These are the blessings that you and I have in God the Son. But then it continues. It says we also have the blessings of God the Holy Spirit. We looked at this last week, verses 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until, if you were here last week, we talked about there's a translation question here. The better translation is likely until God acquires possession of it, of us, to the praise of of his glory. You, you see the blessing you have in the Spirit? The Spirit of God has sealed you, and that seal serves as a guarantee that one day God will take full possession of you as you will exist for all eternity in his presence. And the Spirit is the down payment. He is guaranteed that he will do it. These are the blessings that we have if we are in Christ. What, what amazing blessings! And then back to verse 15. Verse 15 not only roots this gratitude, this prayer of gratitude we're going to see in a moment in all of these past blessings, but it also anchors it in the present life right now. The last blessing is the blessing of new life. Look at verse 15 as a whole. He says, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about the Ephesians or even us who are in Christ in the present reality of a brand new life. He describes this new life in two ways. The first way is the faith in the Lord. Faith in the Lord. Now, historically, let's just remember some of the context. Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul, he is in Ephesus, and he is preaching this gospel. And as he preaches this gospel, people are turning away from their paganism, their idolatry, and, and they're turning toward Christ. And, and part of his message is that these idols that people are worshiping, they're, they're not real gods. If you remember in Acts 19, what happens is there's a silversmith and he makes his money off of selling these, these non-God gods, right? These fake idols. He makes his money off selling them. And so he begins to create an uproar and a mob grows. And this mob, look, if you were to look at Acts 19 verse 23, they end up having this mob roaring and, and rebelling. And they, they start crying out, verse 28 says, and when they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. See, in Ephesus, they had a temple to Artemis. They had a giant statue to Artemis. They worshiped this pagan god, Artemis. This was their worldview. This was their life. This was their culture. 
Now, Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and his words bear heavy significance. He says they no longer have faith in Artemis, this pagan god. Where is their faith now? In the Lord Jesus. See, see this, this present blessing, this blessing of a new life, it reveals that they have turned away from a false lifestyle, a false religion, a false belief system, and they have now turned to the one true God through Jesus Christ, and they now have a true belief system. I mean, isn't this our story here? Now, I, I, I'm doubting I would be really surprised if some of us, we, we were worshipers of Artemis in, a, you know, in previous years. But listen, if you're here today, you believe in Jesus. We have to remember that you have, you have turned away from a, a false belief system into the one true belief system, trusting in the one true God. Maybe that belief system for you, maybe it was a, a cult that you were part of that, that had a distorted view of Jesus or of God. Maybe it was a humanistic kind of mindset where you just thought, you know what, humans, we can just, we can just be a great society and we can just build ourselves up and it's all about us and, and what we can accomplish. And you have this perspective, like a secular humanistic perspective that just put your faith in humanity. Maybe it was very, very relative speaking. Maybe you're just like, you know, what you believe is good for you and what I believe is good for me. And as long as we all are sincere, everything's fine. Maybe that's your previous worldview. Maybe it was atheistic or agnostic where you do, I don't know if there's a God or I don't think there's a God. Maybe you were antagonistic toward God, but listen, you have been rescued out of that. Maybe it was just an incredibly selfish lifestyle where you pursued your passions and your pleasures, the things of the flesh of the world. But if you are here today, just, just hear me very clearly. Just like the Ephesians turned away from a pagan life in a false belief system, if you are here today and you have trusted in Jesus, you are now counted among those who have their faith in, in the Lord Jesus. This is the blessing of a new life, faith in the Lord. And then secondly, secondly, he says, a love toward all the saints. I just love the, the, the fact that they use... Paul uses the word all here. Because we're going to talk about the Jew-Gentile divide in a few weeks. But, but here's the reality. If you're in a church, I guarantee there are people in the church, the same church as you, even this church, I guarantee there are people that annoy you. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, I'm looking at one of them right now, right? Uh, see, uh, here's the reality. We all are people. That means there are going to be people that you just, you, you kind of butt heads with. There are going to be people in the church that it's like your water and their oil and you, can, you just cannot mesh at all. Listen, th that's the reality in every church. But just because you, you're annoyed by someone or just because you don't see eye to eye on everything, that doesn't prevent us from being just like this, having a love toward all the saints. This is part of why Paul, he, he's pushing himself back from his desk. He's just listed out all of these incredible blessings that the, the, the believers in Ephesus are secure in and that the believers today are secure in. And then he says, and I see that right now you have a genuine faith and you have a real love. See, this blessed prayer, the first thing it does is it recognizes the true blessings and these true blessings are in God. 
But, but let's keep going. Let's, let's get to verse 16. Because not only does blessed prayer recognize that true blessings are in God, the second thing we see here is blessed prayer remembers to give thanks to God. Blessed prayer, it remembers to give thanks to God. Verse 16, Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Verse 15, for this reason. Verse 16, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This, this phrase, I do not cease, this does not mean that the only thing Paul ever does is sit there and give thanks for the Ephesians. Paul is not saying, I no longer eat, I no longer sleep, I no longer preach. All I do is sit here and say, God, thank you for the Ephesians. God, thank you for the Ephesians. No, rather, when he says, I do not cease, he's talking about a repetitive, regular action in his life. His life is characterized by a consistent giving of thanks in his prayer. And in fact, this word thanks, this word thanks, it is, the, it is an external expression in words or deeds of an internal sentiment based on the favor that's been received. Let me, let me break it down. Here, here's what Paul does. Paul looks at the blessings that the Ephesians have received. And he basically says, God, thank you for what you're doing in their life. Thank you for what you're doing in their life. The, the, the point here is that spiritual blessings in the lives of others, it, it is meant to be a key motivator for us to pray with gratitude. Well, let me say that again. When we see spiritual blessings in the lives of others, that is meant to motivate the believer to think, say thank you to God in our own prayer life. How, how often does that describe your prayer life? I don't know about you, but for me, it's really easy to start my prayer life with asking instead of just admiring what God has already done. You find that to be true of you sometimes? How often is your prayer life described like this? God, I thank you for Michelle and her eager pursuit of your truth and the way she's growing in her knowledge of the scripture. Father, I thank you for, for Clint and his willingness to serve and the way he greets all of us at the door with a, with a smile and an umbrella, at least for the last three feet, right? God, I thank you for, for Judy and Dave and their, the way they serve behind the scenes and the way they're always cleaning up after us and, and the, the, the countless hours they put into this community that no one else sees. God, thank you for your work in their lives. How often are your prayers describing the fingerprints of God that you see as he works in the lives of other believers? That is the kind of prayer that recognizes God's blessing and then remembers to say thank you to God for it. That's the, that's the kind of prayer we, do, we see described here. See, I think sometimes we, we approach prayer and we forget to say thank you for the way he's working in other people's lives. It reminds me of a, a, a kid's book we used to read to our kids way back. You ever read the book, If You Give a Moose a Muffin? Anybody familiar with that book? Okay. It, it's a fun little kid's book. And, and you know, the lesson is don't give wild animals uh, pastries, right? That's the, like the lesson of the story, I think. But, but here's the deal. The story begins and it says, if you give a moose a muffin, it, he's going to ask for some jam, right? 
And then if you give him some jam, he's going to ask for something else. And if you give him the, the whatever else, he's going to ask for something else. And then so on and so forth. And it's this idea that they're always asking for what's next instead of stopping and expressing gratitude. Stopping and expressing gratitude. Now, listen, should you ask for things in prayer? Absolutely. We are instructed to. We are taught to. That is a privilege that we get to go to the Lord who is a good father and who gives good gifts. This is me not saying in any way, don't ask God for anything. No, you should be always asking. But, but how often do we skip the admiring what God has done and go to the asking? How often do we want instead of stopping to worship? See, blessed prayer, it remembers to, it remembers to be thankful to God for what he's done in the lives of those around us. And then, as it recognizes that the true blessing is in God, and then as the prayer remembers to give thanks to God, then, then the prayer begins to add the request. See, blessed prayer, it has a specific request here, and that request is increased nearness to God. Blessed prayer requests increased nearness to God. Let me show you what I mean. Verses 17, and then uh, I know we're going to stop halfway through the verse. You'll see why next week more. But verses 17 and half of verse 18, here's what Paul writes. Here's his request. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now this is, this is where the text gets kind of cool. Because we just saw verses 3 through verses 14, the, the blessings we have in God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit. And now when Paul, when he pushes himself back from his desk and he starts to pray, I want you to see that his request, it is rooted in an understanding of God the Father, of God the Son, and God the Spirit. Let me show you what I mean. First of all, our request is to God, the Father of glory. This is what verse 17 says. It says, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory. Now, there's, I mean, we could just sit here for a while, but I want to, I want to just give you a few observations about how this God, the Father of glory, how we approach him in prayer. Think about these words, Father and glory. First of all, he's our Father now because he has adopted us. We saw that when we looked at the blessings we have in God the Father. But, but when you think about a Father, hopefully you, you have warm thoughts. When you think about a father, hopefully you think about a child running up and sitting on their father's lap as their father reads them the Bible, or the father and, and child going out and, and sitting on a dock, and, and the father teaching their kid to fish off of the dock, and, or, or a father praying over his children as he tucks them into bed at night. This, this fatherly figure who loves and cares for and guides and teaches, this, this nearness, this intimacy. This is what the word father entails. But then this next word, the father of glory. This is an interesting word. 
The New Testament word for glory has to do with honor or like reputation. It actually has an idea of brilliance or brightness. This is why in the eternal kingdom, right, there is going to be the glory of God that is going to brightly illuminate everything. But the Old Testament word, it's a little different. The Old Testament word for glory has to do with substance or weight or density. You take these two ideas together, which Paul is a Jewish, man, this would be in his mind. You have this, this brilliance of God's glory, his fame, and then the weight of his substance, of his significance. This is, this is you have the father, you think of nearness, and then you have glory. Glory is the idea of un, unapproachable worth and majesty. And this is who we pray to. He's beyond everything, and yet he's, he's as near as a father. You see, our request is to God, the father of glory. But, but look at what else this text describes. It also describes that our request is connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. The request is connected to our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it says. It says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ can we just not skip over these four words? See, I, it's so easy when we read the scripture, especially if you've been a believer for a while, to read these four words and just like zoom, just right past them without recognizing the significance of, the, uh, of each of these words. Think about that word are. He, he could have said the Lord Jesus Christ here, huh? But instead, he is, he is rooting this prayer in the relational connection, in the union we have with Christ. I mean, this has been the theme of this series. We could have, instead of, <clears throat> instead of titling the series, Reframing God's Blessing, we could have just talked about being in Christ. We've seen it every week that these blessings, they're all connected with our union to Christ. Here's the reality. There is no such thing as a spiritual blessing that is divorced from being united with Jesus Christ. They're all found only in one place, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So, so Paul says, our, and then he says, our Lord. Again, this is such an easy word to just skim over, right? Our, our eyes just read it and keep moving. But, but this is the idea of master. This is the idea of authority. This is the idea of superior. This is reminding us that Jesus, yes, listen very carefully, Jesus is our friend. Jesus is near like a friend. Jesus, he calls us his friend. But you know what we say in return? We call him our Lord. The implications of this are very clear. This means Jesus has the ultimate authority over your life. You don't say, here's what I want to do today and I'm going to do what I want to do. You and I as believers, we grow as we understand the word more and more and we say, this is how, this is how Jesus calls me to live. This is how I live in gratitude for, for his death and resurrection, for what he has done for me. This is, this is a prayer to the God and Father of our Lord. And this next word, Jesus. This is his name. 
This, this name, Jesus, reminds us that Jesus is not some figment of our imagination. Listen very carefully. Jesus is a historical man who was born, who lived, who died. But there's so much more to that story, isn't there? He, he's a, a, a historical man who was born of a virgin, he, he lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a substitutionary, sacrificial death for our sins. He was buried, and then by the power of God, he was resurrected from the grave so that everyone who believes in him, they have their, their sins forgiven. They have been given a new life, that they are redeemed. They receive all of these blessings that we've talked about. This is his name. And that leads us to the last word here. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes we read it and we think, well, Christ is his last name. I'm Mike Freeman. He's Jesus Christ. But that's actually not what this is. See, see Christ is his title. He is the Christ. The word Christ, it is the idea of anointed one or as the Messiah. See, Jesus as the Christ, he is the long expected Messiah that Israel, they had waited for generation after generation after generation for the one true one, the one true king of Israel who would come and rescue Israel, not just from the bondage of other nations and the oppression of other nations, but that he would rescue Israel from the bondage of their sin. This is exactly what he does through his death and resurrection. He is the Christ, the Messiah. He is the Savior. This is this is what our prayer request is connected with. In fact, this is why Jesus instructs us, instructs us that we are to pray in his name. And so we see our request, it is, it, is, it is aimed to God, the Father of glory. It is connected to our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look, our request is for an explicit working of the Holy Spirit. See, Paul here, he's praying for the Spirit of God to work in a very specific kind of way. It says, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. This is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. This is what blessed prayer prays for, for ourselves and for others. We pray that God would give us a, the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Now, there is debate sometimes over, is this like a human spirit, like I have my spirit, and then there's God and his Holy Spirit, but, but that usually gets shot down pretty quick because revelation, does never, it never comes from a human spirit, but it only comes... From the Holy Spirit. This is talking about the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is praying a prayer that is, is a prayer to God the Father, connected to God the Son, and it's a prayer for a specific working of the Spirit of God in our lives. It's a, it's a, a working of bringing about a wisdom and of revelation. We, we actually have an example of what he's praying for. Paul, who prays this, has actually experienced this. Let me show you. Keep your finger in Ephesians 1. Turn over probably one page, uh, or maybe two pages if you have a really large print Bible. I don't know. But, but turn to Ephesians 3. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3. 
Paul in Ephesians 3 begins verse 1. I'm going to have verses 3 through 5 on the screen, but he says this. He says, for this reason, there's that phrase again. I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul's responsibility is he is to be an apostle to the Gentiles. He is preaching the gospel to those who are not Jewish. We will explore all of that in a number of weeks when we get to these later chapters. But look at verses three through five. He says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What Paul is praying for, to happen in the lives of the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter 1 is what Paul is describing that he experienced in Ephesians chapter 3. He, he is asking that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and of revelation so they can understand the mystery of God because Paul... He's experienced that himself. See, when we're talking about this spirit, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about wisdom and revelation. Listen, we are talking about characteristics of the Holy Spirit. We are not talking about emotions. We are not talking about brand new revelation in our mind. We are talking about what the Spirit has already revealed. You ever, you ever had one of those moments when someone comes up to you and they say, you know what, brother, sister, I've got a word from the Lord for you. You ever had that? When someone comes up to you and say, God has told me something he wants to tell you. I've had that happen to me a few times. That's not what this is talking about. That, 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 we're not talking about new revelation being given. That is, that is an abuse of spiritual language. Instead, we're talking about the revelation that's already been made clear through the prophets and through the apostles. We're talking about a clearer understanding of who God is through God's revealed word. See, this is, this is the idea of the, the, the Holy Spirit doing his work in the lives of believers that he has already sealed. And so let's dig in a little bit deeper. This is a request for an explicit working of the Spirit. Here's what the request is. Our request is for enhanced spiritual insight. Look at the text again. He says, may the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, may he give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom here. Wisdom is the idea of true insights of known facts. Wisdom is for you to know the facts. Paul is praying that the Spirit of God would work in your life so you would know the facts. Let me put it another way. He is praying that you would know what is actually true. That you know what is actually true. And then he uses this word of revelation. Now, this is the, the sticky point right here. This is what we want to sit on for a minute. When, when we're talking about revelation, he uses this, the word mystery in chapter 3. The revelation that's described here is talking about how God had something that was a mystery that God had 
covered in generations past. And now the revelation is not, I have a new spiritual insight or God's God's speaking to me individually. Instead, the revelation is when God uncovers what has previously been hidden. In the book of Ephesians, it's actually talking about something very specific. I I don't got a lot of time. We'll get to it in a few weeks. But but the, the very specific revelation that he's talking about, the thing that was once hidden that has now been revealed in the book of Revelation, here's what it is. There used to be these, thing, these people called Jews, and then there were these people called Gentiles, and there was something that never existed before, and that something is called the church. And here's what God did. God took through Jesus and his death and resurrection, those who were Jews and those who were Gentiles, and he made them one and he created a brand new entity. And that entity is called the church. This is the revelation he's talking about here. And so he he prays for this. And ultimately he prays in the last part of verse 17, it was in the knowledge of him. Let's just, flesh this last phrase out, in the knowledge of him. The word knowledge here is, it's, it's actually the word knowledge with a preposition added to the front, which is, is meant to intensify the word. This is not knowledge like book knowledge. See, see, we are meant to have insight into the knowledge of God, but this is not talking about how you know facts about God. You, you probably know facts about God, right? Who here can be the fastest person to list off all 66 books of the Bible, right? We can have a little bit of a race. Or, or who here can, can describe the attributes of God clearly and say, this is what the Bible says about who God is. See, I can do the same thing about baseball players when I was younger. My favorite baseball player was Ken Griffey Jr. And I had a ton of knowledge about him. I could tell you his height. I could tell you his batting average. I could tell you how many home runs he had on any given week. But here's the deal. I had a knowledge of him, but I did not know him. And he has no idea who I am. Even though I wrote him letters when I was like in third grade, right? He, he, he never returned my letters. What's wrong with him? This is talking about a knowledge that's not just head knowledge. This is talking about a knowledge of God that you know what's true, but it's a heart knowledge. Ultimately, it's talking about a knowledge that increases our nearness to God. Later in the book of Ephesians, we're going to talk about walking with God. This is what the blessed prayer is asking for, that we would walk with God. Let me bring it to our final point here then. This request ultimately is founded on established spiritual insight. Verse 18 says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. When when the scripture talks about the heart here, it's talking about the very core of who you are. When the scripture speaks of the eyes here, it's talking about the windows into your heart. It's how you perceive and understand the world. Very quickly, here's what I want you to see. It says that the eyes of your heart has already been enlightened. When did this happen? Verse 13. The moment you heard and believed the gospel. Ultimately, Paul's prayer, ultimately blessed prayer, is that we would increasingly know what we already have in Christ. Here's what blessed prayer is. It's that you and I, we would increasingly know what we already have in Christ. This week, I was talking to another softball coach. 
It was actually Friday night. We were talking, and we were talking about how one of the biggest issues in coaching, he says, once you can get a kid to believe they can make a play, then you can actually coach them. Now, if you've never coached, let me explain that a little bit. Every year on my teams, I get kids that have never played before. And these kids, they show up and they're very timid and they're very uncertain and they're very nervous. And I know the voice in their head is saying, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. It's like I can just read it. I know exactly what's going on in them. And most of the season, it's working with these kids. And yes, we're teaching them how to hold a bat and how to swing a bat and how to hold a ball and how to swing a ball. But really what we're doing the entirety of that season is we are trying to get that kid to believe that they can do it. That's all the work I do as a coach, trying to get a kid to to believe they can actually make the play. And I'll tell you, the moment they actually believe they can do it, that's the moment I can actually help them get better. <laughs> That's the moment we can actually coach them. That's the moment they actually improve. And listen, that, that phrase, the moment I can get a kid to believe they can do it is the moment I can coach them. That phrase is a shadow of the prayer that's being prayed in Ephesians chapter one. It's a shadow. Because, because the entirety of this prayer is aimed at getting you to refocus on what you already have. This is exactly true in almost every single one of my counseling appointments. If I meet with someone, they're saying, how do I be a better dad? How do I be a, a, you know, a better evangelist in my work? Whatever it is in their life, 99% of what I end up doing in counseling is I show someone with the scripture what they already have. And every once in a while, I get to see the light bulb flick on. And it changes everything. Brother and sister in Christ today, I know someone turned up the heat too high. I know this is a very warm room right now. I know that maybe we want to get out of here, but but listen to this last phrase I have. If you are in Christ, everything we've talked about today is already yours. There's not something you need to do to get it. This is not about trying harder, being better, or doing good. This prayer is aimed at one thing, for you to be aware of what is already true of you in Christ. In fact, how about I pray that for you right now? Why don't you bow your head with me? Father, I I thank you for all of the blessings you've poured out into our life. I thank you that through Jesus and his finished work, We are now your children. We have been redeemed and we have been sealed. I thank you that we now walk in faith and in love. I thank you that you have enlightened the eyes of our hearts. And so, Father, our simple prayer today, Lord, that you would work by your spirit in our life in such a way that we would have true spiritual insight that we would have wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of you, that we would not just live this life knowing about you, but we would live this life in relationship and in unity with you. And I pray that this would happen as we just marvel with gratitude over everything you've already done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.